<laughs> oh, that's the best. Woo! Hoover, <laughs> parents of the year. Just kidding. No. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Good morning. Man, it is uh, so good to see you all. Um, so good to be back. I've been gone for a little bit, and I've missed you. I love you so much. It's so good to be um, back home. Uh, again, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you chose to come and spend some of your uh, morning here with us. Um, before we get into what we want to talk about, I just want to say I cannot believe it's Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, we are a week away from Resurrection Sunday, a week away from Easter. And, um, you know, we exist to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. And, and we want to make the most of the opportunities where we can do that more strategically. And Easter just happens to be one of those times. People who may not have any interest in a conversation about church are all of a sudden willing to come to church with you if you would ask and if you would commit to come with them. And for us, we believe there is eternity in the balance when it comes to capitalizing on these moments, these opportunities. And, and so much so that I would say to you that uh, consider changing your plans to be here so that someone might come to church with you in a season where they may be a little more open to doing that. I don't know what your plans are, but I'd encourage you to consider changing them. It's that important that you commit to being here and being part of making the most of um, these moments. And we're looking forward to what the Lord might do um, in this space um, next weekend. All right, this morning we are continuing uh, a series um, that we started two weeks ago, a series that we're calling Words to the Wise. And in this series, we're spending some time just unpacking uh, the Proverbs of the Old Testament. And let me take a quick moment, by the way, to say thank you to Charlie Miller, um, who taught us last week, and thank you to Matt Duell, who kicked off this series uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, while I'm at it, let me just say thank you to Pastor Matt, who has been a partner in crime in this work and in this ministry for the last number of years. As many of you know, um, Matt and his family have made the decision to transition out of his role here. And as difficult as that is to lose him as a teammate, I could not be more supportive of his decision to, to follow the Lord's leading for the sake of his own health and for the sake of his own family. So I hope you continue to pray um, for the duels. If you haven't yet jotted down just a gratitude card. There's still time to do that, and you can take it to the connection corner um, after the service is over. And um, while I'm at it, can I just say thank you to all of you, um, our Mission Point Church family. Thank you for the ways you have shown up in ways that have humbled us as a Simfukwe family as we've brought two girls home and included them into our family. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support. Um, thank you for your incredible generosity, to even just the space you've given us to figure out this new crazy slash normal. Um, thank you so much for the meals that you've brought to our place. Our daughters legitimately believe that's how dinner works. Like, uh, they're just staring out the window, like, when's dinner being delivered tonight? Mm, I wonder what it might be. So thanks for spoiling them. We have to clean up that mess with real life. Um, now, but thank you so much. Thank you for those of you who are clearly parents and are clearly wise, and you brought us wine. Uh, thank you. Uh, such a great church family. Praise you, Jesus, for these people. Um, 
But really, really, most of all, thank you for your prayers. They have been felt in miraculous ways that I hope the Lord will give us the opportunity to, to unfold and disclose to you a little bit more um, in the coming months. But it is so good to be home. And um, if you can't tell, I am super stoked to be here, and I'm super stoked uh, and to spend some time in the book of Proverbs um, this morning. Um, it's the Proverbs. Um, and uh, if you've not spent much time with this book, why not? Um, it is a fantastic um, book in, in the Old Testament. And, and this morning, I get to stand on Matt and Charlie's shoulders and continue this conversation um, that they, they started. Um, the Old Testament book of Proverbs is a collection of wise slogans. It's a collection of wise and simple sayings. Now, let me, let me back up really quickly for a quick moment and say this. When we speak about wisdom, and we'll put it up here on the screen, we are speaking about the art of living skillfully. We're not speaking about being super intelligent, having a high IQ, having a really high role in your um, organization or chart. We are speaking about the art of living skillfully. Wisdom is the ability to make the best and most beneficial decisions in real time, in real life. That's what wisdom is. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise slogans. It's a collection of sayings that are intended to help us live life a little more skillfully and make better decisions that are more beneficial in real life and in real time. And so I'm just saying to you, if you're the kind of person who says there is room in my life to be a little more skillful in the art of making the best decisions and most beneficial decisions in real life and real time, then and this is a book you want to lean into just a little bit more. And what's cool about the book of Proverbs um, is it doesn't just offer us wisdom. It doesn't just offer us, you know, clues um, and recommendations when it comes to the skill of living. It makes wisdom super simple. Proverbs, literally, it's wisdom for dummies. No offense, but, but that is pretty much what it is. Now, Proverbs, when you hear Proverbs, it's, it's one of the most ancient forms of teaching, uh, one of the most ancient forms of education forged out of a cultural context in which many people weren't necessarily educated or they weren't necessarily literate. So if you wanted to transfer meaningful information in a memorable way, you had to be brilliant at boiling down big ideas into succinct and very easy to remember statements. That way they stuck. In fact, the word proverb insinuates the rule and the reign of a person because it was believed that the more you could bring brilliant ideas into succinct sentences and slogans, the more influence you would have over people and the more people would follow you. Um, I find that super fascinating. I'll tell you why um, in a quick second here. But that's what the Proverbs were. It was this art of teaching very, very, very simply. Um, what's even more compelling about the Proverbs is that the Proverbs were authored for the most part, as Pastor Matt shared a couple of weeks ago, by a guy named Solomon. Um, 
Solomon is the wisest person to ever have lived on this planet not named Jesus. As the story goes, um, God shows up to Solomon one day and tells him, hey, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And of all of the things Solomon could have asked for, he asked God, give me wisdom. Give me the art of living skillfully. Give me the ability to make the best and most beneficial decisions in real time and in real life. God is so thrilled with this that he gives Solomon an abundance of wisdom. Solomon doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for influence. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for for relationships. He asks for wisdom. God gives him wisdom, and the sneaky thing about wisdom is it brought along with it riches and influence and power and relationships, maybe a little too many for Solomon. But wisdom brought along the things that you would have thought to maybe ask for. And Solomon became the wisest man on earth. So one day, um, the Spirit of God stirred in Solomon, and Solomon opened an ancient Twitter account. And um, he, in 30,000 characters, <laughs> um, managed to bring forth his best advice and his best wisdom to us. And that's what I find so fascinating, is Twitter just capitalized on the brilliance of the old adage that the proverb is power. If you can figure out a way to get your best thoughts and most brilliant ideas into a short and succinct slogan, people will follow you. Um, So anyway, Solomon opened a Twitter account called the Book of Proverbs, and in it he gave us a bunch of his best thoughts. And so I'm just saying to you, if you have any interest in, you know, the art of skillfully living and you have any interest in making the best and most beneficial decisions, then how amazing is it that the wisest guy put some of his best stuff into a book and the God of the universe preserved it and offered it to us? And now we get to explore. We get to spend some time in this book. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a tweet in which Solomon has the audacity to give us advice on health. Health. Uh, We're going to look at a proverb that talks a little bit about health. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. Uh, We're going to be looking at verse 22. Um. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, can I just say, we love to find any excuse to get a Bible into your hands. And so if you don't own one, please allow us the privilege of getting one to you. We believe this is the powerful word of God. It will change your life. And uh, if you head to the connection corner at the end of the service, just let someone know you need one and watch how big they smile as they hand one to you. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Again, we'll have the verses up here on the screen. If you want to be the healthiest version of you, here's what Solomon suggests. So simple and completely free. No subscriptions, no hidden fees, nothing of the sort. All right, here's what it says. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit 
dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. How simple is that? He has whittled down a bunch of thoughts into this really simple phrase. Now, when I was growing up, uh, there was a proverb that was taught to me before I could read and before I could, could even write and uh, before I could fully understand what the proverb meant. And um, the proverb went something like this. Laughter is the best... See, some of you grew up in my neighborhood, right? Yeah, laughter is the best medicine. Little did I know that was plagiarized from Solomon himself. Little did I know that that was actually a biblical concept that had been borrowed and translated into our culture. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Uh, The idea of a cheerful heart is the idea of a heart that is carefree. It's the idea of a light heart. And so you might speak of someone with a cheerful heart as someone light-hearted. It's the heart that is consistently in high spirits because it is not weighed down. So it's a light, carefree heart. And in the biblical mind, The heart that is not heavy is happy. The light heart is a happy heart. And so here's what Solomon is saying. In fact, we'll put this up on the screen uh, so you can see what he's getting at. He's suggesting that the person who is happiest is most likely to be healthiest. You are most likely to enjoy the best health and wholeness life offers if your heart is light. Okay, now I read something like this, and just to be honest, this sounds a little counterintuitive to me, and maybe it's just me. But um, (laughs) the way I tend to think is, no, 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 if I'm healthy, then my heart will be a little happy. In fact, my heart's in a funk on account of the fact that my knee is janky. In fact, three weeks in advance, I can tell you that a storm is coming and it starts to ache and get all crazy. My hips start to throb, you know, when I try and walk up and down the stairs. If those things were fixed, my heart would be happy. You see, my heart actually is directed and driven a little bit by my health. And Solomon would say, ah, yep, common fallacy, common mistake. It is commonly thought that somehow my physical health drives my happiness and drives my heart's ability to smile. But it's actually the opposite of that, which is such a bold statement for somebody who's a king, not a medical expert, to make. How happy your heart is will more likely determine 
and affect how healthy your body is. Because a cheerful heart is good medicine. Whatever your health physically is, it has bearing on what your heart's levity and lightness is. But Solomon is saying something more than just health here. He is talking about healing in this slogan. He's not just saying you are more likely to enjoy health. He is saying you are more likely to experience healing if you have a light Heart. The word that's used here for medicine is very deliberate, very intentional, and hard to mistake. It's a word that speaks about the power to heal what is wounded. How crazy is that? Solomon is saying the carefree heart has the power not just to keep your health, but to call healing to places in you that are wounded. I wonder what broken thing in you could potentially get healed if your heart got happier, if your heart got Lighter. I wonder how whole some of us could be physically on account of what happened to our hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's even the most remote possibility that I can enjoy a fuller version of health, that I can experience a, a dose of healing on account of my carefree heart, then I want in on this light heart thing that Solomon is talking about. Now, to what extent is healing possible? We don't know. Solomon is not specific. What kinds of diseases, I wonder, might be shifted and brought to wholeness in me? I don't know. He doesn't say. But he still tweets this out as a general principle. And I'm just saying, if, if you are wise, won't you at least want to practice this principle and find out what things in you could potentially experience healing on account of your heart? I know I do. So I've been sitting with this invitation um, to, man, a little more wholeness and a little more healing, a little more health um, on account of a light heart. And um, oh, let's just talk a little bit about this concept of um, a light heart. And um, here are a few things that I think could help us start in the journey, if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, start in the journey towards living light-hearted. Here are a few things. Um, number one, uh, light-hearted is a choosing 
lighthearted or lightheartedness is a choosing. Um, now, this is a, a really key place for, for us to, to start, um, and a really hopeful place, by the way, for us to start, because if lighthearted is a choosing, it means that you can have it. Now, you and I, we might know people um, who just seem to consistently be in high spirits, and they can be super annoying at times. They just don't often seem weighed down. They just don't often seem um, super bothered. And um, you know the insulting thing we'll say about people like this? Uh, whether we say it out loud explicitly or whether we say it to ourselves, um, the thing we we'll say about people like this, lighthearted people, people who don't seem often weighed down, <laughs> we'll say, oh, must be nice. Must be nice. And here's the implication. Here's the insinuation. We, we are saying, uh, must be nice to, 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 to have this condition called eternal optimism or naivety. That's what we mean. Super insulting, super offensive. Because what we're saying is somehow and somewhere along the birth canal, as they were making their entrance into the world, they were blessed with a condition called optimism, a condition that is called naivety. And so because they have the condition, they just don't tend to be bothered by things that other people are bothered by. They have this condition, must be nice, and Solomon would stand to correct you very quickly by saying, no, biblically, lightheartedness is not a condition that a few are lucky to have. It's a choice, a choosing that all can make. Um, and, 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 and while I'm talking uh, about this, um, if not that, we'll look at somebody who is, you know, lighthearted and, you know, tends not to be weighed down. Um, and we'll say, whether out loudly or implicitly, mm, must be nice. Must be nice. And this time what we mean is, oh, it must be nice to be one of those people who does not have any challenging circumstances in their life. Because you know that if some difficult things happen to this person, they would be as, you know, as weighed down as we are. There's no way that they would be lighthearted. There's no way that they would be carefree. So obviously, they're one of those people who've managed to escape difficult circumstances, and so their world is a little bit lighter. And Solomon would jump in and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Lightheartedness is not a circumstantial thing. It is a choosing thing. Yes, yeah, she's going through a very painful time. But even though those circumstances exist in the journey of her divorce, she's still somehow lighthearted because of what she is choosing. 
And even on this Palm Sunday, lest we offend the Savior of the world by saying, man, well, must be nice to be Jesus. No, Jesus suffered real pain on the cross, and yet it still says that he chose to dial into the joy that was before him. His circumstances weren't ideal. Isn't it interesting that in Philippians chapter 4, while Paul is incarcerated in Rome, that he pens the words, rejoice always. Well, Paul, you wouldn't say, well, no, actually his circumstances are pretty rough. But yet here he is making this decision nonetheless. It's not a condition. It's not about circumstances. And you notice, by the way, that I said um, that, that lighthearted is a choosing. I didn't say it's a choice. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, the English at this church. Um, but I, I said that deliberately. Because I know you. You are like me. When you use the word choice, what choice often says to me is it's something I do one time and then I'm done. I made the choice. And so some of you are super crabby because back in 2011, you started making the choice, you know, or you made the choice to be lighthearted and you're just frustrated. How come it hasn't taken? How come it hasn't taken? I did it that one time. You know, I told you I loved you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know, and it's been 15 years, you know, kind of thing. No, it is the very courageous and very deliberate daily choosing that starts to invite and bring about light-heartedness. So I don't know how your heart is. But what I can tell you is whether you are starting to experience lightheartedness or not is a matter of what you are choosing. What are you choosing? Well, what does this choosing look like? What does this choosing look like? Well, the main thing I think is worth saying about this choosing is this idea that lighthearted is a fixation. This choosing to be lighthearted is about a fixation. And all I mean by that is it's really about what I choose to fix my focus on. See, because I cannot control what happens to me. I cannot control what she said to me. I cannot control who leaves me. I cannot control what my boss does or doesn't say. I cannot even control what I feel. But what I can choose is what I focus on. I can choose to wake up in the morning and fix my focus on something. And choosing to live lighthearted is choosing what I fixate on. And whether we realize it or not, which is it's really fascinating, um, we all fixate on something most of the time. We all have this homepage, this landing page, or at least these favorite pages that our hearts and our minds will tend to come back to Throughout the course of the day, they tend to land on. 
It's where I come and spend a majority of my thinking, my thoughts, my time. And if we spent enough time together, we would start to feel each other out. And I would start to get a sense of like your default homepage. I would start to get a sense of your fave five, you know, pages that you keep going back to. And for some of us, it's just money. The sun is shining. Oh my goodness, look how beautiful it is outside. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I bet you it's starting to, to mess with my seats in my car. And I'm going to have to change it because, you know, now the, the, the money thing is, is super, super, you know, taxing on me. And all conversations come back to this landing page about money, 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 money. For some of us, it's our kids. You know, my kids did this and then they won't do this and they won't stop doing this. And in the middle of the night, girl, you never believe what happened, you know, and that becomes the thing. No matter what else I'm talking to, you better believe I will weave it back to one of my favorite homepages. And it's going to be something about kids or it's going to be something about cute boys. You know, I appreciate the crisis in the world, but oh my goodness, did you see that news reporter, you know, um, and it comes back to that. Or for some of us, it's our wounds. Um, for some of us, it's our, our work. For some of us, it's sports. For some of us, it's the grudge that happened 15 years ago. We all have some place to which our wandering mind tends to keep coming back. and Things we will fixate on. And I'm telling you, by the way, that is a choice. And I'm not dissing or judging necessarily what our different default landing pages are. Uh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if we're honest... Most of us will choose fixations on, on things that are super shifty. I mean, can we be honest? Super shifty. We tend to focus on things that are constantly changing. And we tend to focus on things that we have no control over. Though we're eluded into thinking that we do for a hot minute or two. Right, I mean, my kids, you know, and, and then the, 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 I love them, they're awesome, Instagram, and then I want to kill them. And then, oh, they made me proud, oh, they peed in their bed, oh, no, 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 they peed in the party. And all of a sudden, we realize that I am continually coming back to something that's shifting and changing. Money, well, sometimes we have a little, sometimes we have a lot, and the bills come in, and, and then the bills go, you know, go out, and, and then, you know, the cute boy is a jerk, and then I heard he did this, and then I heard he said this, and then he broke my heart, and it's constantly shifting all the time. And we fixate on our sports teams. How's your, you know, March Madness bracket, by the way? You know, and it's constantly shifting, and it's constantly moving, and it's constantly changing. The problem with that is when we fixate on something that shifts, we anchor our heart to that thing, and as that thing goes, so does the condition of our heart. And so it's continually dragged around, being shifted and changed and taxed and toiled, and by the end of the day, I just sit with a heavy heart because I latched onto something that is constantly moving. And Solomon would say, lightheartedness begins when I choose to fixate on something fixed. Lightheartedness begins, and he would tell us like this, it begins when you fixate on the one who never moves. The one who never shifts. When the landing page that I keep coming back to is who God is and what God says, my heart starts to float. It doesn't happen immediately. Let's not be naive. 
but it starts to move towards living lightheartedly. Here's how uh, Solomon puts it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, the first part of verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of skillful living. It's the beginning of wisdom. You want to live skillfully? You want to live lightheartedly? It starts with a fear of the Lord. And I love the language of this. What, what, what Solomon is communicating in, in this is when God becomes the greatest gravitational pull in your world. When God becomes what pulls you in more than anything else does. When God becomes a landing page, when God becomes a thing I am fixating on and fixating around, then wisdom begins. When I start to come back to him, because now my heart is fixated and it's anchored on someone, something that never changes, that doesn't shift. And I can start to experience a little bit of lightheartedness. And even if the things around me shift, and even if the things around me change, and even if voices scream, I keep coming back to something that doesn't. And let's not be naive, because I know we can sometimes as a church be um, so hurtful in the way we speak about things like this with this Christian ease, like everything is fine. This does not say that I will not hurt. This doesn't mean my heart doesn't hurt. Oh, my heart will hurt. This just means I understand that my heart deserves my attention. This means I understand that my hurt when I'm wounded deserves my attention. But I also understand that my hurt ought never to demand my fixation. Let's not be naive. I'm still going to hurt, but I can make a choice whether or not I fixate and then my hurt becomes a landing page. It's where I wake up and it's where I want to work my conversations into and it's what I want to continue to obsess over. But when the fear of God, when he becomes my fixation, yes, I can say this hurts. But I know that you have said these light and momentary troubles are achieving for me a glory that far outweighs them all. Yes, I know she said I'm unworthy, but you have said before the foundations of the earth, you chose me. Yeah, I know I'm broken and I'm struggling, but you've said your power is made perfect in my weakness. Yeah, I know my heart is experiencing loneliness and abandonment, but you've said I will be with you always to the end of the age. And I start to come back to who he is and what he said and some. Somehow, even in the midst of swirling circumstances, my heart starts to find itself fixed. And when God becomes a gravity in my world, my heart starts to float. But it begins with the choosing to fixate on who God is, what God says. And Solomon says, as you do that, watch out. Because health and healing will start to reverse places that are broken in you. Because a cheerful heart is good medicine. There is a medicine that will keep health and call healing 
and it's the light heart that chooses to fixate on who God is and what God says. So the question is, do you have a light heart? The question is, are you choosing lightheartedness? Because if you're not choosing it, then you, the answer is you probably don't have it. Because it is a choosing. And even as we sit in this room, we are either moving towards health or we're moving away from it in the ways that matter the most. And that all depends on what I am choosing to fixate on. You're either moving towards a carefree heart or you're moving towards what he refers to in the second part of the verse as a crushed spirit. And it all depends on what you're choosing to fixate on. And he says that, you know, the cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit will literally wither the bones. In case you had any curiosity, if he's speaking about physical health, he's saying, no, it will wear you down physically. A heavy and sunken spirit. And by the way, heavy and sunken, a crushed spirit is not sunken by the circumstances. Believe it or not, it's sunken by fixation. Peter didn't sink because he felt afraid. Peter sank because he shifted the, the focus of his fixation from the unmoving Jesus to the circumstances around him, and he started to go down. And that's going to be true for us. In fact, those of us sitting in this room, our lives are being marked and moved in a certain direction based on what we're choosing to fixate and focus on. And some of us are focused and fixated on what's broken or what's shifting. And it's not just weighing your heart, it's withering your health. And that shouldn't surprise any of us. I mean, stress, emotional stress, second leading causes of disease, it starts to mess with my blood sugar. It starts to mess with my blood pressure. It starts to mess with my immune system. I become so much more susceptible to getting sick. Why? Because I'm fixating on things that I cannot control and I cannot change. I'm fixating on other people's Instagram accounts and comparing how they're raising their kids to how I'm raising my kids and I don't feel good enough. And then the Instagram post changes and my heart changes and then and it goes up, and then I get some likes, I go down, and my heart is just taking a beating. And I'm finding myself losing health. And Solomon would say, oh, fixate on the fixed one. Fixate on who he is and what he says. That's never changing. And you find your heart starting to anchor, and you find your heart starting to be free. What are you fixating on? I would encourage you uh, to make the choice um, to incorporate into your world um, or to continue to incorporate into your world practices that invite um, a fixation on what's fixed. And for some of you, that might mean journaling. Uh, and it may be something as simple as like every day I'm going to journal one unchanging truth about God. 
and I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to start the day with it, and I'm going to come back to it. I'm just going to start doing that. I want to fix my focus on, on fixed things. And so I'm going to keep coming back to something God has said. I'm going to come back to something God has promised. I'm going to come back to something about the posture of God towards me that doesn't change in his reckless love. And I'm going to fixate on that. For some of us, it might be capitalizing on table talk. I, I would love to see us as Sifukwes do this. We do this sometimes, but when we sit around the table and we draw the conversation to, can you speak? of something that you are thrilled about or something that God has done because if we can fixate on who he is and what he said and what he's done and that becomes, it doesn't mean we don't talk about difficult things, it just means we bring the conversation back to the landing page of this is who God is and this is what God has said. And our hearts start to find themselves free even though they're imprisoned by circumstances that we cannot control. But for all of us, it definitely means we have got to fixate on this book. These are the unchanging promises of God. You want to know what God has said about your heart. You want to know what God has said about your kids. It's in this book. And it's as we fixate on his truth that we're able to say, yeah, I'm struggling and my kids are crazy, but somehow he has said that they are blessing from him. So they shall live another day. And my heart shall float a little bit more. We have got to obsess with this book. I'm telling you right now, if there is no pattern or habit in your world in which you are fixating your focus on what this book says, you are not living lighthearted and you are not moving towards health. Or whatever is making you believe you're living lighthearted is something that sooner or later is going to shift, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, or whether it's your reputation. And you can go months and you, my heart feels light because the things that matter to me are great. But that thing, if it's not this thing, is eventually going to cave, and with it will your your wholeness and your sense of health. Let me say one more thing, and then we'll we'll wrap. Um, Please, let's be smart. I'm not even saying, we don't even have to be wise. Let's just be smart as a church, and not do one of those things that says, that's it. I'm not going to the doctor anymore. I'm not taking my medicine anymore. I am just going to go on a gluten binge now because I have a happy heart. No! (laughs) Oh, man, don't do that. Don't do that. No, obviously we want to continue. This is not a substitute for some of the gifts God has given us to work on our health. And this is it, I'm never running again. No, that's not a substitute. But what it is, is a starting place. That whatever else I'm doing about my health, whatever I'm doing about my wholeness, if it doesn't start with my heart being fixated on who God is and what he has said, then the rest of my health is just, it's vulnerable. But I still have to continue to lean into those things that I have. And I love what Jesus says to us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is amazing how often we miss his simple invitation. And we carry burdens and we carry heavinesses in our hearts that we ought not to carry. And he says, no, cast your cares on me. You're not carefree because there are no cares in your world. You're carefree because you keep bringing your cares to the feet of Jesus, and he carries them. And you bring the cares to the feet of Jesus, and he carries them. And we find ourselves, as he says, um, I will give you rest, and you will find yourself 
lighthearted, and then healing will start to invade places, even in our bodies. Um, even as we, we wrap, I want to invite um, Mike and Myra Taylor out, um, because here's what's so awesome, and I believe this, that as we continue to lean into um, lightheartedness and we start to experience the healing of God, it's our hope is that that healing will then break outside of our own lives and outside of our walls and start to bring healing and refreshing to the people who are broken in the world around us. And um, that's why, of course, love chatting with these guys. Mike and Myra lead a movement, an organization called Three Strands, and um, would love for you to hear a little bit about what that's doing, particularly as it re relates to, um, to healing and ways that we can partner with um, Mike and Myra. So thank you guys for being here. And man, the outfit is just on point. <laughs> man. Okay. Um, Mike, for somebody who may not have any idea what Three Strands is, how would you um, explain it? So I have an outfit just like that, but it would have been very distracting. So I chose not to wear it. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so as the name implies, Three Strands. Compassion, competence, and Christ-focused. So we're a faith-based nonprofit providing health care in two of the toughest places mm. on the planet, Haiti and the Central African Republic, empowering nationals to do the work. So we have national doctors, nurses, PAs that are doing the work. What are they doing? Primary care, inpatient care, surgical care. Education on a collegiate level, we're training nurses and doctors. It's part of what Three Strands does. Nutrition, as Meyer just said, uh, we're taking care of, on average, 35 kids without our care would die. Hmm. And then the, one of the coolest things is we manage at no cost 800 orphans, 750 Amazing. in CAR, 50 in Haiti. And we're doing that through Three Strands every day. While you and I are working here, there's guys and gals over there doing that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And Myra, obviously you guys have chosen to pour so much of your life's energies into this work. And someone might ask why or what triggered that desire and willingness to go all in here. So our family has uh, been working in the Central African Republic for almost 29 years now and lived there full time for um, several years. But when we did move back to the U.S. for Mike to do administrative work with the uh, mission with whom we served, we continued to go back to take teams in for like a week at a time, first in CAR, and then uh, we added Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. But the, the thing that we saw that we found was there were as many people lined up to receive care the day that we were leaving as there were the day that we arrived. Hmm. And we realized that our brothers and sisters in CAR and Haiti were in desperate need of continual care. And so we had to find a way to make that happen. So like Mike said, we have been able to find nationals who do a wonderful job of caring for their people. And it is done with compassion, mm. with competence, and there is a definite Christ focus there. And amazing. I mean, it's honestly a privilege to hear what you guys do and to figure out as a church family, how do we continue to come alongside you guys to encourage and support and um, follow in the trails that you guys have blazed? How can we help? 
Yeah, so first off, um, we just want to say thanks because you already are. People pray for us, and the church gives actually to Three Strands. But this is a part where you're going to hear what most people that stand up and talk about their faith-based ministry, you're going to hear the same kinds of things, but this has been our prayer, is that you'll hear them differently this morning. Okay? We cannot do this without people praying. That's the, that's the bedrock. And so if you just get your phone out before you leave today and just type in three strands once a month and put a reminder just to pray for our ministry because we work. I work at MedStat full-time. She's managing grandkids. And yet we're trying to do this in the margins of our time. Number two, it takes a lot of money to manage 800 orphans at no cost. Now, mm -hmm. while we're trying to get our ministries self-sustaining financially by creating jobs that actually generate income, we cannot turn away 800 children who don't have parents. So it takes money. You can go with us. You don't have to be medical. We mm -hmm. take five teams to Haiti and three to Central Africa every single year. And I forgot to say this first service, but this is the most important. We are trying to be replaced, mm -hmm. and the sooner that happens, the better. Because I'm old. She isn't. I am. And we are literally looking for a man, a woman, or a couple who have a heart to serve God, who will take this ministry mm. from our hands. And I can come alongside, we can come alongside that person. So if you know somebody, mm. be praying with us about that too. But we really appreciate everything the church is already doing. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray even now for uh, three strands. I pray for the tailors, and I just praise you for this uh, mantle you've placed on them, this burden you've placed in them for the health and the well-being, the healing and the hope of um, thousands in Haiti and in the Central African Republic. And I just pray, Lord, that you would answer every prayer that they have sent your way. And even this morning that you'd answer prayers that blow their minds. And I pray for us as a church family around them that we would be partners who encourage and who sacrifice to see this work continue to thrive for the sake of Jesus and the wholeness that he came to bring. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, let's hear it for these guys. That's pretty amazing.